Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 105, 105. Gonna decide how to say that uh, sometime in the future. We're joining every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John. I was just listening to the soothing sounds of that John White intro. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, uh, this week we are starting off a new, I'm going to have to say a series of interviews. Cause That's we how it goes know. here on Nerd Journey. <laughs> That's right. Uh, normally, you know, our interviews extend uh, into a part two. But this time, I'm going to, it's a called shot. We're going to do at least three parts with uh, Stephen Morosky, uh, who is a developer advocate at Microsoft. So um, it's going to be pretty interesting to listen to how he got into uh, IT and uh, understand maybe that developer advocate position a little bit as well. Yeah, I really liked hearing about how he got started at the police department and how he took a real interest into all the business processes and how things flowed through different departments, much like you might pay attention to in the manufacturing world, which of course lends itself to some of the underpinnings of the DevOps thought process. Yeah, and I I would be really remiss if... Uh... We didn't mention in the intro the uh, reference to the flower shop, um, you know, the traditional way that everybody gets started in IT. So um, let's uh, jump straight into it. Uh, let's not uh, get between you and the interview. Uh, here it is, episode 105, part one with Stephen Morosky. Stephen Morosky, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's I'm really looking forward to kind of you know, dive into our diving into our discussion. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I think so too. Um, can you uh, start out by telling us what your title is right now, who you work for, and what you kind of do the the thirty second version of what you do every day? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so I'm a principal cloud advocate at Microsoft. And uh, my day job is to help people out that are out in a community be successful with Azure, regardless of what they're trying to do, what tools they're using, you know, how, you know, big company, small company, doing something on their own. Um, our job is to help people be successful with Azure. And um, I focus primarily on a lot of the DevOps ideas, uh, you know, how you doing DevOpsy things with Microsoft. Um, However, um, you know, my background is split between development and operations. So, you know, if it's sysadmin things, site reliability engineering, DevOps, um, build engineering, whatever, you know, whatever that stuff looks like, I work on trying to find ways to help people be successful with that and, um, and kind of help bridge between our product teams and our community. 
right? I, I, I help share some of the scenarios that you can do with our community, but then I take back the challenges and problems and things that people are trying to do back to our pro product teams and like, hey, people are trying to glue service X and service Y together. And they're having a hard time because in order to build some real world experiences, you know, we can't just use one product or one feature, right? These things that have to work together. So um, that's that's kind of a, the shortest way I can <laughs> kind of cobble together what I do for a, what I do for a day to day. That's my objective, at least. That's interesting. Is it focused on the Azure DevOps product primarily? No. Okay, so anything Azure? No, I, I, DevOps in the actual meaning of DevOps. Not uh, as like in a product name. Um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the whole idea of going from business idea to business value and all of the steps in between from, you know, coming up with uh, coming up with your initial story and product ideas and and building out your, you know, your timelines and figuring out what the flow of work looks like and to building the software, to deploying it and to operating it, getting runtime telemetry Get, building those feedback loops, all that kind of fun stuff, right? All, all the way through. Yeah, I always say, you know, anytime somebody says they work in DevOps, I, I always say, oh, DevOps, I'll take three of those. <laughs> How much does yeah. that cost? It, it's always way more than I think. <laughs> I, I think that I really want to hear about that journey kind of, you said you've been on the developer side, been on the operation side. I feel like a lot of our audience and the people that we talk to um, over time, you know, are stuck in the IT operation side of things and maybe are a little bit scared about that, you know, DevOpsy world. And so maybe we can think about, you know, over the next um, little bit as we talk, we can think about tips on, you know, things that they can do to, you know, kind of bridge that fear, overcome it and, and get into that side of the, that side of the business. Yeah, definitely. Cause I, uh, honestly, I, I I say I followed the traditional path into IT, but it it's it's really I, I, it was kind of a fun journey. Um, it, it was kind of a weird journey, but I think it set me up very very well to have the DevOps discussion with folks because this is my third career. You know, I I had two other full, vastly different you know, work experiences before I got into the IT space. And, uh, and I think it set me up very, very well for, you know, for, for these DevOps discussions, for how do I go from one role into this next? And how do I, how do I see that all, my role isn't just what's in front of me. It's the whole, it's the whole gamut of, I may be respons most responsible for, for, you know, job X, but the developers, the product managers, the salespeople, the marketing folks, they are all part of doing the things that we need to do so that my organization's successful, so they can continue to pay me, give me bonuses, send me on vacation, you know, any of those things, right? If Because if, if we don't all work together, our organization at the end of the day is probably not going to be as successful as it could be. You know, there are dysfunctional organizations that make money. But the ones that are more functional tend to make more money, have happier employees, and, and, you know, overall tend to be, you know, tend to outperform the marketplace. So, you know, I like to, I like to try to get that direction. That makes sense to me. 
Although at the very beginning of all of that, you said you followed the traditional path into IT. Yeah. And I'm still curious about what you think that traditional path is. <laughs> yeah. So I owned a garden center, flower shop, and landscape business for eight years. Oh, that traditional path. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that's, and then, I mean, that's all of us, right? Yeah. And, and then I went back to school to become a police officer and worked at a police department as a clerk and a dispatcher and, um, and an auxiliary officer. And eventually my boss found out I knew a little bit about computers. And so that's the traditional path, right? You, oh, that is the traditional know, path. That's yeah. the hook. Yep. Right. So you know, <laughs> what, what, when I had my when I had my business, my computer work ex the extent was QuickBooks and Excel. Right. <laughs> that was <laughs> that that was where I spent most of my time. Um, but then at the at the police department, I got I got started dipping my toe into more and more stuff, and and that's really where um, I think a lot of the DevOps stuff landed and 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 set in. Um, DevOps really wasn't a thing, um, or at least it, was, it wasn't a thing that too many people were talking about back in 2005, 2006. But uh, when I worked at the police department, uh, and I worked as a clerk, and I worked as a, a, a um, and I worked as a dispatcher, I wasn't a very good dispatcher, um, so that's why I went and did the clerical work while I was going to school. And ultimately, ultimately, my goal was to become a police officer, and so. I worked as an auxiliary officer there as well, which uh, there are non-sworn officers who uh, kind of just provide additional manpower for major events or just to go on a ride along with a police officer. But in that capacity, then I would go in my off hours and I'd go down to the municipal, uh, not the municipal court, I'd go down to the circuit court with our court officer and see the flow of paperwork through that or through, you know, through the court's and how and how the charging conferences went and everything else. I would go on prisoner transports down to the county, down to the county jail, or ex exchanges with other police departments. I would, you know, help with the property room, and I got to see basically the flow of work all through the organization, the flow of work through the municipal court. And when I transitioned into doing the IT work there, all of that knowledge of the business process that happens as part of the day-to-day -day flow of, of, of information and work in that organization paid off majorly. And, and it, it made me much more effective as the IT guy there. And then as I rolled into the next job and the next job, I took some of that knowledge, but I also took that concept of get an idea of what these, what the businesses processes that I'm trying to support are not just the technology around them, but how the technology enables the different scenarios. And, and you know, it, it, it really clicked for me that that's actually what was happening um, when I read uh, The Goal by Eli, Gold, Old, by Eli Goldratt. Yes, love it. And, and, um, and there's an audiobook called Beyond the Goal, and it's Eli talking about lessons learned from the book and some other stuff and, and laughing at his own jokes. And um, it's, it's, it's an interesting listen. But in there, one of the points he makes, and I, I love it, and I keep going back and I re-listen to this thing about once every you know 12 to 18 months, is, um, is that when organizations adopt new technology, they, they do it to um, diminish some limitation. But they never go back or, or very rarely do they go back and examine their business process, which exists to deal with that limitation. 
and then and take full advantage of of the software or the technology that they've adopted purportedly to deal with that limitation, right? So one of the, the, the thing I learned, and I learned this in, in a, as we adopted like a new computer-aided dispatch and record management system, is we had to look at the way we did every single thing in that organization, how we did all the paperwork, how we, how we dispatched calls, how we, you know, how we recorded information about properties and people and, and how we did records releases and how we did, how we transferred information to the courts and every, every process that we did, we had to go back and look and, okay, why are we doing this? What is the objective that we're getting? Does the software give us a better process or do we need to go back and say, hey, we we need some more capabilities in the software to, to allow us to you know meet our to meet our our goals for or to meet our reporting requirements or whatever those things are, and um, and so that's that's I think the missing key thing that we get in DevOps is when we have is we've adopted this new technology that's going to let us revolutionize the way we do everything, but if we don't change the processes we've adopted to deal with the fact that the technology didn't exist before, or we didn't have it or whatever. If we don't go back and look at those processes, if those things that we do, well, just because that's the way we've always done them, or that's the way the person before me did it, right? If we don't go change those things and we don't know why those things are the way they are, we can't realize the, the true benefits that DevOps, CICD tooling, scripting, whatever, whatever, whatever capability we're trying to adopt is trying to give us. I like that. It's funny you mentioned the goal by Goldrat because I was thinking that as you started talking about your processes and, you know, you mentioned limitations almost like a constraint from the goal. Yeah. It, it seems like a lot of people in technology, they just love the tech, but they don't love or really seek to understand the business processes like you mentioned and how those interact with the technology and how the technology changes affect those processes or if those processes should be reevaluated because of a technology change. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as I transitioned through some of the different roles I was in, when I was at the public safety software company, you know, uh, I had a I had a job title of director of research and development, and that was really just kind of a label that they stuck on me. And I did a lot of different things. I did pre-sales engineering. I did post-sales engineering. I did training. I you know, I, I spoke both geek and cop, so I could do a lot of translating. And I understood the pro the business processes. You know, uh, that pretty much I would go to different agencies all around the country and and work with them to determine, hey, is the software going to be helpful to you? Is it not? Do we need to make changes for the state or for the city? Um, and then what processes on their end could we improve, right? So that the flow of work and organization and information in the, for them will, would, be, would be smoother. And, um, and so as I would do that, I got a real appreciation for the role of the, of the pre-sales engineer and and the customer conversations that happen then and and as i've gone into different roles whether it was at chef or whether now at microsoft um, i like being involved in some of those pre and post sales cu customer conversations because that's where we find out all right 
now they've adopted this, what what steps are they taking internally to do it? Because, yeah, we've done a proof of concept and, hey, the technology looks great. Let's go do stuff. But if we don't see other changes happening in compared to how they would have done stuff before versus now that they're now that they're using this tool that yeah maybe they're they're saving a couple of clicks in the UI or maybe they're they've shaved a few seconds off their incident response or maybe you know that uh, maybe they can deploy uh, you know a couple more times a day or some whatever whatever the scenario is uh, maybe they can stand up or customize their servers more quickly but they're not seeing the transformational value that they're hearing other organizations talk about. And that, you know, that they thought the DevOps was going to bring to them. <laughs> and so being able to go and have authentically those conversations with, okay, I've been in the situation, I've been the person having to change the process. I've been in the situation of, of analyzing all the flows of work and looking at the processes that need to change. And, then and and being able to take those other experiences and lay them down and map them similarly to the journey that that our customers are on and our community members are on that that gave me a gave me a very a very good appreciation for what they were going through but also the pain that they the, the pain that they still needed to go through and get done and where they you know kind of the direction they needed to go um, I remember one time I was at Chef, and I had a uh, friend uh, from the PowerShell DSC community call me up. It's like, hey, you know, we're looking at Chef. I'm not sure I need to do it. I think I think we can do this with with desired state configuration. Uh, DSC is PowerShell desired state configuration. Uh, the I think we can do this with PowerShell desired state configuration. My you know our first proof of concept here that we spent some time on. It looks pretty solid. Great. All right. You, it works great for this one app environment. You got 400 app environments to go. So here are some of the pain points that I think you're going to bump into based on my previous experience deploying the software. And my guess is you're going to go fine for about a year. In about a year, you're going to start seeing problems with how your configuration data scales out, and how how do we how do we manage it for how do we how do we dedupe it and allow for overrides where we need it for different environments and for different tool for different testing stages and because there's a lot of validation and things that happen in that environment and and, so, and just you know we, we were having our conversation and i said but you know go for it because you're going to learn the, you're going to learn from this and here's the things that you're going to be able to take away you're going to take away you know how to build the structure you know you know the what you want your environments to look like and so therefore you'll be able to write some automated tests to validate the state of those environments. So if you do have to change tools, you're not starting from scratch, right? You're starting from a much further place down the, down the way. And then you can go pick a tool, whether it's Chef, whether it's something else, that's going to solve the problems that you are now bumping into, which is a much more tightly scoped set of problems. I, I, <laughs> it, it was eerie. But almost a year to the day, we had another conversation, and they went and adopted Chef at the time, right? And uh, because they hit many of the same problems we talked about, it wasn't exact, but it was pretty darn close. And uh, and if I hadn't been, if I hadn't done some of the stuff myself, and if I hadn't 
been through some of these, you know, these changes in, in, um, in organizational flow and looking at, you know, okay, based on this process, what has to change to allow the adoption of this new technology? And I spent a lot of time with configuration management technology. So, and I spent a lot of time in environments where we hand configured stuff or we handed stuff off between environments and things. And so I had a pretty, I was pretty comfortable with what needs to change in that, in that process and the timelines. And they were pretty consistent and it, that wasn't the only customer who was, uh, you know, it was about a year <laughs> into this, you know, they're, they're, you can go on for about a year before this pain point uh, at certain size environments starts to hit. And it, it, it then led to a lot more credibility in the next discussion, right? Where, like, all right, hey, you hit these pain points. Here's how we can solve some of those things. Yeah, that... That's extremely interesting and valuable experience, I think, to your bringing forward kind of the exact analogy of knowing the different parts of how the police department worked and how that needed to map onto the software that they were using and uh, bringing that analogy forward to like every single business process, you know, to technology mapping that you're doing, like basically forever in the future, right? I think so many times people are implementing technology because it's technology that they want to implement without really regard to the business problem that they're trying to solve or, or what, you know, metrics they're trying to increase or reduce or, you know, what they're trying to make better. It, it happens a lot and it can make for some heartbreak. Oh yeah. And I, I've been there Im implementing the technology that was cool because it was cool. And, and that's the thing I wanted to go do. And, um, and I even worked in an environment for a while where I worked there specifically because we had the opportunity to do cool stuff just because it was cool. Um, I, uh, the, there was a data services company that I worked for and kind of one of, one of the bragging points that we had was, if there was a pre-production uh, build of software from Microsoft, we were throwing it in production, right? Um, I had I, I had Windows Server 2012, the pre-release builds running in production, uh, you know, well before the release date, and we were do and we used almost every single new feature inside of that build, working with a lot of the teams at Microsoft to give them feedback on these things, but mostly because they like hey well you've got this stuff deployed can you test this like can you can you uh try an encrypted cluster share volume with a hyper-v server and uh and do it with a, a scale out files a scale out file server cl cluster share volumes that are encrypted and run hyper-v images off of that and see how it works and how the performance is like sure i've got some hardware let's <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do that. And I had a boss that was supportive of that. And um, it, w the company was a Microsoft partner, and and it, it you know there was there was uh, strong benefit in the relationship, and we got to give a lot of early feedback. Um, but there wasn't necessarily an immediate tie back to the you know business process improvement there, in, in just that capability, right, and just the running the new stuff. Um, I was able to spend a good bit of time working with a lot of the other departments in that, in that or, uh, organization. 
I worked with you know, our sales and marketing folks, our data, our data folks, our developers, and had I had an opportunity there, you know, to start building some strong relationships and getting IT operations into the conversation much much earlier. Like when marketing wanted to adopt a new tool, or the developers had had a new uh, software platform coming down the pike. I would go to the developers' patterns and practices meetings and uh, and 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 listen. I listened first, and then I start. I started doing presentations inside the you know to the developers there about some of the capabilities of the platforms that we had, or you know how uh, this was. This is going back a number of years. So uh, Windows Server App Fabric for running your uh, Windows Workflow Foundation workflows and hosting you know. Windows Communication Foundation services, uh, like uh, a very very early predecessor to Service Fabric in in Azure. Um, like like going in, like hey here's this cool thing I know you're building some of these things with some of these acronyms maybe there's a fit here <laughs> right and uh, but just opening the dialogue and all of a sudden you know we had developers coming over and talking to us in IT operations and when something would go wrong instead of this you know hey it's your fault hey it's your fault um stuff going back and forth it was a lot more like hey i'm seeing something not quite right uh let's figure out what's going on and it became a much more collaborative experience as opposed to we're it ops on this side of the building there are development over on that side of the building and you know, never the twain shall meet unless you know we're both grabbing a Red Bull out of the out of the fridge and uh, and because uh, this uh, this organization, small, uh, medium, small size company, biggest consumer of Red Bull in southeastern Wisconsin. <laughs> Quick question, Stephen. Yeah. How well was it received by those different departments, especially the developer community? When you said you wanted to be involved in their conversations on choice of tooling, how'd that go? Yeah, um, it was so it was pretty well received because I knew uh, I knew a few of their engineers uh, from the .NET user group community because so I mentioned this is my third career, right? And so one of the one of the first things I started doing is I realized I'm I was about thirty ish when I started in IT and I realized I had a lot of years to catch up on um, to kind of get my age equivalent to where I, you know, where I was knowledge wise in, in the field. So I read everything I could. Um, you know, uh, everything. Uh, one of my favorite books was the practice of system and network administration by Tom Limoncelli. And um, you know, uh, a little side note, um, after a little bit of hero worship there, I got to work with the guy when I was at Stack Overflow. I recruited him over there. So, um, <laughs> I think he's but, still there, right? Yeah. 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 He's still, he's still there. And, um, uh, so start, started reading as much as I could. I, I was listening to podcasts. Uh, I was trying to, uh, there was one podcast, uh, Kevin Devin and George Starcher were the uh, were the hosts. It was one of the first podcasts on system. One of the first podcasts I came across on systems administration topics, and um, there was uh, you know a handful of other podcasts out at the time. I was listening to those, and then I was looking for any any user groups in my local area, 
and there was a .NET user group. There was a LOPSA chapter, which is a League of Professional Systems Administrators, um, which is still a thing, I think. Um, but they had a they had a chapter in Madison, which was about an hour and a half drive, an hour about an hour for, or forty five minutes to an hour drive from me. Um, and uh, there wasn't much else, so I'd go. To, I went to the .NET user group because I was into PowerShell. PowerShell is based on .NET. .NET's a bunch of developers, but hey, guess what? I can I can still go, and I can probably learn something that may come in handy at some point. Like, oh, hey, I, I've heard about that .NET thing before. Let me see if I can do that in PowerShell. Um, but I started going there, and eventually, I started doing talks at these groups. I uh, did talk for the uh, League of Professional Systems Administrators in Madison on on PowerShell. Um, because I also realized since I was coming late, I needed to do something different to distinguish myself from everybody else that's in this field. And uh, getting up in front of people and talking is seems to be a, um, a, a, a skill or at least a willingness that a lot of people don't have. Um, I did a, I did a few plays in high school. Uh, so, you know, I had gotten over the idea of getting up and sounding stupid in front of a lot of people. Um, and so I was able to leverage that and lean on that um, a little bit with, uh, with get, uh, being able to go do presentations. And one of the things that, that I found, and because whenever I talk to somebody else about presenting, would be, oh, I don't know enough. I don't know if, I don't know if enough about the topic. Um, I'm going to get found out as, uh, you know, as a pretender or, you know, you got some imposter syndrome stuff happening. Uh, yeah, you probably, you know enough and being willing to get up in front of somebody automatically, everybody else, anyone else who's got a, you know, gripe, complaint, wants to correct you, whatever, they didn't get up and, and tell people uh, and go and go to say something. So, you know. Um, Scott Adams, uh, the guy behind Dilbert, um, he, uh, he wrote a book a while back, uh, how to fail at it at nearly everything and still win big or something, uh, some, some set of words close to that. And in that he talks about the idea of talent stacks and, uh, and not just, you know, you don't have to like be the most awesome at one thing. You could be kind of uh, you could be kind of technically competent you could be a public speaker you could be you know like you you, you start to bring these things together and over time I started to be technically competent I, I became relatively known at least in the in the PowerShell and the uh, the lopsa community and the .NET user local .NET user community um, became relatively you know relatively well known in, in, in the circles that I was in. And, um, and then I was willing to try new stuff, right? Because hey, I was new to IT trying, it's all new stuff. <laughs> and so I never, I never built like this fear of change, uh, it, because everything was always new and I had to, I had to try to learn at an accelerated pace. So it was go learn this thing and go learn this thing. So learn a little PowerShell. Then learn a little host intrusion network monitoring. Then go learn a little Linux. Then go learn a little Windows. Then go learn some SQL Server. Then go, yeah. Then go do uh, do some Cisco firewalls. There was just so many new things to learn all the time that 
no knowledge was off the table. And so, you know, between that and then, and, and, and then speaking and things, I started to build myself a base that allowed me to distinguish myself from someone who had been in the field for 10 years and had X level of experience and whatever. Right. And, um, and, and, and it worked, um, at least it's worked up till now. Um, you know, I, I was able to transition from, you know, an IT specialist role into that weird amalgamated role that had a nice title to it, but uh, at the public safety software company into a senior uh, systems engineer, senior uh, Windows systems engineer at, um, at EdgeNet. I had nowhere near enough time in the IT field. I, I had like three or four years of full-time IT at that time uh, to be in a senior engineering role mentoring junior engineers and, uh, and, and, uh, helping plan out it infrastructures and, and leading, leading some nice projects, uh, to, you know, modernize a server infrastructure and, uh, virtualize everything and all this. But I, I just, I didn't say no. I just said, okay, let's go do this. <laughs> right. And, and not being, you know, not being afraid to just kind of jump into the technology and, and try and learn new stuff um, because I had to, to catch up. That's really interesting that, that idea that, and, and I'll say this and maybe you can tell me if I'm hearing it correctly, the fact that you had to learn a bunch of stuff um, because you felt like you were behind and you needed to find these like find your edge. So you were looking to stack technologies one on top of the other, led you to kind of invest in doing a bunch of different things and be a beginner over and over and over again and kind of work through that like beginner uh, um, part of that skill set over and over and over again. So that when someone said, well, how about this role? And, and really it was like a senior role and it involved mentoring and involved leading larger projects, those were all just things that you just needed to work through how to do, just like kind of some of the new stuff that you had learned, you know, in a technology uh, uh, context. Yep. Am I hearing I'm that a, correctly? Yep. I'm a, I'm a principal cloud advocate today, and I am still a beginner at a lot of things. John, I think if listeners out there pay really close attention, they'll find that this is the first layer of the onion, and we will continue to peel those back in future interviews. I, I kind of like the way we flew over almost his entire career in, in segments and waves, and then we take a deeper dive in future discussions. Now, yeah. one of the most interesting things to me was that he had a self-perception of getting a late start in the technology field, and it was really that drive and feeling of being late to the game that caused him to work so hard at playing catch up. And I think that that's really helped him throughout his career. And some of the things he mentioned doing, listening to podcasts, joining user groups are, are things we've heard other guests say. 
that they've done. Yeah, definitely. And and I would say that both of those things are things that we've done personally, right? And advocated doing. I'm getting involved in a community of people who are doing your job or similar jobs um, to kind of collaborate and get on the same page and and uh, expand your knowledge base. And then also that kind of fearlessness to, to try new things, um, to fail. And it's probably not fearlessness, right? It probably is just a willingness to accept the pain and the embarrassment that comes with it, right? So, um, you know, all things that we've talked about as well. Yeah, you have to try new things. You have to fail all part of the learning process, which we'll hear more about later. I'm not going to spoil that one. <laughs> All right. Well, um, with that in mind, uh, do you want to get out of here? Let's get out of here. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Uh, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at the Journeyman, Fred McCourty, at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.